0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is Tuesday. We have a big show for you. First up in the news train. <laughs> it's the end of the world here in the Bay Area. Monsoon season has hit. We've got atmospheric rivers and cyclone bombs. Uh, and the continuation of the riff train Coinbase has done a second major riff 18% the first time now they're doing 20%. We'll talk about that.
1: Yeah, the crypto winter is real. Then we're going to break down the latest in the Microsoft a- OpenAI relationship. Satya Nadella is either the greatest CEO in tech, or I have a very contrarian take on OpenAI. Yeah, and uh, very interesting to think about
0: the relationship between Azure and the billions of dollars OpenAI. is apparently spending on cloud computing with Microsoft. We'll talk about round tripping and some of the back channel there. Uh, you know what they say here in silicon valley molly no conflict no interest and then we'll talk about climate tech molly's got uh, a couple of stories in climate
1: yeah we got some good news some we're all gonna die news and then a great interview with a uh, climate founder Michael Cronley, on uh, battery recycling and creating new battery feedstock for all those evs and the power wall that i'm gonna need any freaking second now when the lights wink wink all out right. stick with us it's gonna be a great show
2: This Week in Startups is brought to you by Vanta. Compliance and security shouldn't be a deal breaker for startups to win new business. Vanta makes it easy for companies to get a SOC 2 report fast. Twist listeners can get $1,000 off for a limited time at vanta.com slash twist. Mixpanel. Mixpanel helps startups find product market fit faster by offering powerful self-serve product analytics. Apply today to join Mixpanel's startup program and get $50,000 in credits at mixpanel.com slash startups and Squarespace. Turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code twist to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or
1: domain.
0: All right, it's Tuesday. Feels like it's like the third Thursday of the week. I this mean, it's been a
1: very long week already. You're living every day. day. Everybody's living every day twice with these storms in the Bay Area. <laughs> it's a good day to be talking about climate startups, which we're doing today. People have
0: no idea what's happening here in the Bay Area, but there's a concept of an atmospheric river. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know the origin of this word, Molly.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I first heard it, I think, last year. Right. I've heard it in terms of winter storms, too. I mean, it's like when there's a totally... my very base level meteorological understanding is that there's a lot of moisture in the air that's being carried by the jet stream. So it. that, and then it like zones of pressure and warm air collide and okay. then you get bad storms and it can produce these bomb cyclone winter storms, or in our case, it's producing bomb cyclone rainstorms. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of mockery of California happening around the internet. But what I should explain <laughs> is that, We have like a whole bunch of factors contributing to how insane this is. One, some legit infrastructure situations vis-a-vis PG&E, not wanting to bury the lines. And like in LA, there's nowhere for the water to go, really. Like we don't want a lot of of good catchment. But also it's like we have this new weather pattern of like drought, 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 drought. So Mm. the trees die and then there's like fires and there's whole, you know, areas. And then everything is weakened. And then we get all the rain at the same time. So the trees fall down and we flood because there's no way for it to be absorbed. It's just like too much too soon. Right. So
0: if all your trees are dead or dying or burnt, they usually keep the soil nice and tight. And then you have an atmospheric river or a bomb cyclone. We're We're having both.
1: We're having both.
0: Yeah. And so (laughs) it's a result. I mean, I must have, Thirty thousand dollars in damage to my house and grounds in the Bay Area in the past two weeks. Uh, delightful snow in Tahoe, which is fantastic. But um, the good news is, I guess the reservoirs are filling up. Uh, we had flooding in our house. We had flooding down the sides of our house. Uh, my neighbor has like a big wrought iron fence, and so much water was coming down the hill. It washed out the, uh, I guess, the foundation of the fence. So anyway, I uh, woke up this morning, no power, internet down, everything. Uh, and then tons of people showing up at the house to try to save stuff. And
1: so it's crazy. It's crazy. It's like be out safe out, out there. Yeah. we I think there have been there have been several deaths, maybe as many as twelve, I think. I mean, it's like it's really bad. People really are dying bad. from this, really. People, oh, oh yeah. yeah. And then we had this
0: terrible thing happen in the uh Bay Area. I I'm almost like don't want to bring it up, but uh A guy drove his car off of Devil's um, Slide slide in Pacifica. Pacifica, for people who don't know, you have this beautiful PCH, Pacific Coast Highway. You know, when you see those, like, car commercials and people are driving on those beautiful cliffs looking out at the, you know, Pacific Ocean. That's the PCH. This guy drove his family off uh, one of the most notoriously dangerous areas, but he literally went off an exit ramp, you know, and then just drove a Tesla down a 250 foot cliff. Awful. Everybody survived, but it was intentional. And I guess the way we know it's intentional is the other people in the car, including mm-hmm. his wife must've witnessed it be intentional. It's got a f- two, four and a seven year old kid in it. So I, that's been spooking me a bunch.
1: I hate to get dark, but I was just like, Oh my God, what ha- what is happening in the world? It just, it feels, I mean, I know I'm, trying to have the optimistic note for 2023 please (laughs) please but it you do when you have like this many storms and this many stuff and then you hear about that and you hear about you know like people are cracking there's all these terrible things and like randomly like i did not know that like the reason you can't buy eggs right now is because the avian flu killed 53 million birds in america now there's an egg shortage there's an egg shortage eggs are like out Man. Every And it's because of literal plague. Like, you do have these moments where you're just like, maybe it is the end times. I don't really know. I mean, and yeah. Do what you want to do, people. No more rules. $5 eggs
0: coming. Uh, I mean, certainly in the news, there must be good news. So, I don't know. Like, what's our first story? <laughs> Got to be some great okay. story to kick us off. We are going to talk
1: news. about some good we have some great climate news. We have some cool funding <laughs> announcements. But before that, we have more layoff news. And I'm so sorry because ah, the, crypto, the crypto winter is also a full on bomb cyclone. Wow. That's got what bombs I did there? there. There's an atmospheric river that just took everybody's bags and just flushed them. <laughs> I think it's possible that Bill Gurley is going to have to like raise his riff minimum because Coinbase did, uh, e- we thought, what they needed to do. Which was an 18% riff back in June, uh, but announced today that Coinbase will cut another uh, roughly 20%, about 950 employees. Oh, the double-double. Uh, yeah, exactly. A fifth of its workforce.
0: After and it did a fifth
1: of its workforce before. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Coinbase says, Brian Armstrong told CNBC that there are likely more shoes to drop in crypto. And that the company is trying to get ahead of this kind of ongoing crypto winter. And, you know, if you remember back to some of our crypto roundtables, the grayscale Bitcoin trust is the thing that Sonny Madras pointed to as being a potential like major shoe to drop. Or, you know, we have right now the Winklevoss twins uh, of Gemini accusing Genesis of accounting fraud. So you you have... You know, and I think the SEC is investigating this DCG company over its lending practices with Genesis. Yes. So, like, you have a lot of big names. Still unaccounted for.
0: Yes. So this is pretty dark because uh, we thought when this flushing would happen, you know, we saw ICOs go out. Then you saw, like, the NFT grifts go out. You know, it's like what's left. Well, it's like Bitcoin's left, right? Bitcoin's as a store of value, and then there were people who did it right, quote unquote, and they had like a nice trust, and it was all done on the up and up, and these are great investors. And you know, I've been watching now. People say like, well, we think Coinbase has got a risk now, um, which that would be like the Goldman Sachs or Bank of America, the AWS, if you will, of crypto having a challenge, and so we're sort of getting to. you know, last man standing kind of dynamics here uh, yeah. in crypto, which city is, which city hasn't crumbled
1: and been washed out to see. Um, and Brian Armstrong like, has yeah. really been trying to reassure, you know, he's really been saying all the things that you would want to hear, like, we're fine. Yep. Also, we've heard other exchanges say that too. Yep, also, FTX. Coinbase has audited financials. Yeah. Okay, (laughs) which is the key there. But but 80% of that revenue is still on trades and trading volume. And so if trading volume goes to zero, or really, so what you might see is if you see retail investors wash out, like people who you know, amateurs, then what you're going to see most likely is more serious crypto investors go back to not your keys, not your coin, and maybe not want to use exchanges. So there is a really, I think a high risk. If Coinbase has not diversified enough. And by the way, the numbers that they've reported recently that they're kind of basing these concerns on and, and these layoffs on like the last quarterly numbers we got from Coinbase are before mm. the FTX collapse. Yeah. And net revenue revenue was already down 54% per- year over year in Q3. Yeah.
0: I If you, there's no consumers right now who are looking at the current employment situation their 401ks, the value of their homes, and the overall economy, inflation, the global instability in the world, Ukraine, Taiwan, et cetera, and saying to themselves, you know what I want to do? I want to place a bet on a token. I want to buy an NFT. Nobody in their right mind is saying that right Mm -hmm. now. What they're saying is, Hey, um, let me take a look at my balance sheet. Let me do a little austerity measures here. Maybe I buy a chainsaw and cut that tree down myself. Maybe I'll, I'll make some cold brew here. Yeah. You know, maybe I'll set up my own lighting rig at home and, uh, you know, not fly doing out my, my producer. I'm doing room. my
1: own manicures, man.
0: Uh, I'm I'm going to start my my daughters want me to. I think I'm going to be the dad with painted nails now because.
1: <laughs> My, oh my God, my you older. had to get this Olive in June kit that I bought off Instagram. No. It's amazingly, awesome. look, it's got, I did freaking glitter manicure at my own house.
0: I like it. I like it. That it would have cost you normally 40, 50, 60 bucks in the Bay Area to go out 70.
1: And get. 70? No, it would have cost 50. No. It would have cost 50 because I would have been gel. I might have gone dip. I mean, it would be 40 or 50 bucks though. Like, and I yeah. did this at home and I could do it now. Like it's, I got the kit. Anyway. Mm.
0: Anyway. <clears throat> uh, just yoss, saying. Queen. Austerity. I'm going to yossification my... Jason. Do it. Um, Do it.
1: Get that Manny.
0: Okay, if you're a SaaS or a services company that stores customer data in the cloud, well, you know it, you need to be SOC 2 compliant from a third party to close those big deals. And you need to use Vanta if you want to do this quickly and easily. Vanta makes it incredibly easy to get and renew your SOC 2. And on average, Vanta customers are SOC 2 compliant in just two to four weeks. Compare that to three to five months without Vanta. And they partner with over two dozen audit firms who have been trained to file SOC 2 reports directly within Vanta. It's a total no-brainer, we all know that. A bunch of my portfolio founders have used Vanta and they report back that they have an amazing experience and they do that consistently. One more time, if you don't have SOC 2 compliance, you can't close major customers. You need to close major customers in 2023, we all know that. This is a really important year for all of us in the tech industry, in the business world so here's the best part vanta is going to give you a thousand dollars off that's right a thousand dollar credit is waiting for you vanta.com twist and hey that made your customer that can be the difference between your startup thriving or going away we all know that vanta.com twist for one thousand dollars off your sock too anyway uh 20 riff significant that's a thousand more tech workers the white collar recession surplus elites flooding into the market now people have been getting jobs and the jobs report came out we talked about that yesterday Mm -hmm. and people are getting jobs so this is like this mixed bag i think tech companies grew too quickly they're cutting but there are apparently some jobs to be had in the world for now I i don't believe a lot of these statistics these backward looking statistics feel like we're flying the plane i feel like we're driving a car On a ninety-second delay. Like, imagine you were driving down the freeway, and like your windshield was a projection of what happened ninety seconds ago. I feel like we're making economic decisions that way, both inside of companies. You know, companies aren't being thoughtful enough with real-time data. The Fed, (laughs) transitory inflation. You know, we can keep rates low forever. We can do all this crazy stimulus, omnibus spending. Everybody, I think Molly, listen. You spent all these years at Marketplace. Yeah. Would it not be prudent for everybody who's not part of the labor <laughs> movement, like to maybe increase labor participation, to maybe have more austerity measures, do more with less, be more efficient? We we have to turn this economy around. This feels like we're going into like a debt spiral now. I, I hate to be pessimistic, but those thousand people now who are in a Coinbase, on top of the 18,000 losing their jobs at Amazon, 8,000 people at Salesforce, what? If half of these people get jobs, which I think seems recent, but what are the other half going to do? 11,000 at Meta?
1: I mean, this again, I would say, uh, what did I say yesterday? All, every apocalypse is local. Yeah. Like every company in the world of any size needs tech workers, not just tech companies. Okay. So I think you, like, if you have a lot of marketing people with tech expertise that get laid off. They can all go work at schools and insurance companies and VC for it, right? Like all of these mm-hmm. companies that now need a level of expertise that comes from the tech industry, they can go back to finance, frankly, like we had this whole wave of people who of MBAs, who would have in the old days gone to Wall Street, who came yeah. out to Silicon Valley instead, so they can go back to finance, because finance isn't going to go away. Like, I think there is... think a couple things. One, you're 100% right about backward looking data, and also just the lack of real time data. And some of that is from this like weird isolation that's happened where you don't know what is actually happening. You just know what people think about it. So like, we're making these big economic decisions based on like vibes, when we don't have local news, or boots on the ground or dinner parties where CEOs maybe were comparing notes for a few years and talking about what was happening. So there's like a real vacuum effect with the knowledge. But also, I think there are other sectors that are stronger than we think they are, because tech is sucking up so much of the news cycle.
0: I mean, healthcare, we need healthcare workers, we need nurses, we need doctors, the shortage is there, we need plumbers, we need electricians, the shortage is there and professional services there. Desperately. Desperately
1: Desperately Also, that's a really long cycle that involves a lot of training and schooling. And so that's going to be hard to step up too. So like, I'm of two minds about it. There's part of me that's trying to resist the gravity of like the tech collapse narrative becoming the whole economic narrative because i'm not sure that's true yeah. but it also does kind of feel like everything's falling apart and nobody cares and i don't know what to do um <laughs> like there's yeah. not enough vets and there's not enough nurses and there's not enough school team. <sighs>
0: you know just looking at the job openings health and health education and health services big um professional business services accountants lawyers all that kind of stuff still we have a lot of shortages in some of those areas i think lawyers we have too many accountants not enough um, so you know, but are people going to leave Coinbase and take a hospitality job? Is somebody gonna leave Facebook and become, I don't know, a uh a teacher, possibly? I don't right. uh, you know, and, and how do you make that jump from I was in sales or I was in, you know, marketing and I was making seventy five K, 150K, whatever the number is, depending on how many years of service, and now I'm gonna go start over and be a teacher at Forty-seven thousand or sixty-two thousand, you know.
1: Well, but th- these school are districts also need IT staff, and you know, I mean, there's sort of, but what they IT don't pay very get well. Paid
0: in, you know, the, the school system compared yeah, to I mean, working at. Let Meta. me tell
1: you, my brother does it and not very much. Some of that may change. I will also say, and I'm not trying to only talk my book here, but yeah. there's like a new, like I'm talking to so many. I cannot tell you how often I get a ping from somebody, like a high-level person, who's like, "Hey, can I talk about? Like, can I have 15 minutes to just talk about making a pivot into climate?" So oh, like wow. there's a new climate tech startup born every minute Yep, and all of these really highly skilled people coming onto to the market. And so I think there's like the, uh, the assumption is that there won't be new companies to absorb these people from big companies. But in fact, we know that new companies are being formed. And frankly, like either between the burgeoning generative AI startup bubble and the climate tech investing bubble, yeah. I feel like there's plenty of startups for people to land at. I, maybe, uh, you know, if you're going to work at one of these AI companies, I think these
0: AI companies are going to be relatively small, and they're going to be eliminating jobs. So that's like, another one of these like, vectors I'm looking at, like, oh, yeah, so 100 PhDs, really high end, wants data, big data, folks, developers go to, I don't know, some verticalized AI company that's going to work in this very specific vertical. I, I mean, I think their work is going to result in more of the sort of mid-tier jobs, uh, high-paying mid-tier jobs getting eliminated, or one person is going to be able to do the work of five, which we see all the time. Like right. how many jobs have we seen where one person can now do the work of five? Whether it's graphic design or marketing or sales or SDRs, and then you have this globalization thing happening where people are hiring because of remote work. Every all the managers have learned how to hire. Around the world, so one of the things I'm hearing, and we talked about this, I think, with the union discussion we had, there's a big discussion about stock-based comp, unionization,
1: mm-hmm.
0: entitlement, um, and just general expense in the United States. Mm-hmm. And then people are like, "Wait a second! I have an office in São Paulo. I got one in you know Manila. I got one in Ontario. Wherever it is, let's start just hiring people there because they also need jobs." and we know how to manage and those people are half the cost we get two for one or we don't have to deal with the union whatever it is so the globalization remote work thing i think is going to raise the average salary up in the world while reducing it in the united states so the as we reduce to a, a new level the the person I- who was working at facebook or meta you know in the in the bay Area. Zuck's going to just replace them with somebody in his, you know, Canadian, South American, Manila office. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're going to start seeing, whether it's Microsoft and Microsoft has
1: big offices outside the US. It's just going to be good. like, you know what? You want to unionize? Great. I mean, we just shouldn't forget. I mean, and again, this is sort of where, the, like, in tech, employees got real, like, uh, excessively well treated, if you will. Yeah. Right. Like we have, and we have this weird economic confluence of insanely high. Housing costs coupled with insanely mm-hmm. high salaries, tripled with yeah. the funny money of stock options, where like yeah. somebody right next to you is a lottery winner because they got in the right company early at a you know, and you went to a yeah. different one. Yep. Yeah. So it is a totally distorted market. Yeah. And outside of the Bay Area and outside of tech, you have employees who are the opposite of entitled, right? That's why you have every every freaking nurses union on strike and teachers on strike. And like yeah. so it's, there are so many ways in which we cannot conflate the broader economy with tech. But if tech started to operate a little bit more like the broader economy, then probably the layoffs wouldn't be so big. And the housing market wouldn't be so out of hand. Because I'm sorry, like every CEO who is now complaining about entitled, you've heard me say this a million times. But every CEO who is now complaining about entitled employees, entitled them. Of course, yeah, yeah, they, they created it.
0: Two things we always talk about on the show. Number one, how to build the best product possible that's critically important you want to have a great product it's obvious but number 2 you have to find product market fit fast right speed is what startups are all about and those things usually go hand in hand but relying on your gut is not how you should do it many vcs they don't want to wait around for that it's not about your gut right you need to have data investors are looking for founders that can use data driven solutions to find product market fit faster so You need to check out Mixpanel right now, and they will give you $50,000 in credits when you join their startup program. They want to help your startup find product market fit, and they want to help you do it a little bit faster by giving these powerful tools, Self-serve product analytics. That's what it's all about. You can get insights in real time with the help of Mixpanel's pre-built templates. And if you're a data-driven founder, that's going to make the best investors in the world respect you more. Apply today to claim your $50,000 in credits at mixpanel.com slash startups. That's M-I-X-P-A-N-E-L dot com slash startups. That's startups with an S, plural. And if your startup was founded under five years ago, has raised 8 million or less, and isn't currently on any of Mixpanel's paid plans, you're eligible to apply. Terms and conditions do apply because they're giving you 50,000 in credits. Here's another cynical back channel. Uh, You know, I like to give people the honest truth about what's going on. Yeah. and and this doesn't relate to coinbase Uh, it's not like i'm back channeling brian here since people know he's been on the show friend of the pod um and by the way they have five billion in cash so if anybody's going to make it out of this and anybody did it right i think it's um yeah they might be the last man standing for sure yeah so um let's say you had a bunch of folks you hired and uh, they were hired in 2020 2021 and they had incredible stock option packages and they had big salaries and, um, you know, you got a clear shot to get rid of 10,000 people or 20,000 people. And the 20,000 people you get rid of were the people who were last in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you pay three months severance or whatever.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now you put those jobs out again and you put them out, work from home, remote, other countries at a third or 25% of the total cost because of the stock-based comp, right? And you wipe that out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What you might see happening here is people saying, you know what? let's cut the last 20% in because we overpaid for them and now we have a new cost structure of people's expectations. So I hate to sound really cynical.
1: It's 100% what's happening. Yeah. I mean, the corollary is us passing on deals that eight months ago we might have done. Sure. Like eight months ago, we would have been like, this is a normal valuation in this market. And now... now The reset market. With the reset market, we have, you know, frankly, the opportunity... To say we don't want to overpay for this last 20% of companies that we were talking to in the like narrow two to three week window right before the economy collapsed. It's nobody's fault. Yeah, it is what it is. It is what it is, but those are 100% the
0: decisions that are being made. Here's the best thing you could do right now. If you hear my voice, you're listening to This Week in Startups for a reason. Find two other friends who know how to write code, who know how to design apps, who actually have a skill in the world, right? They're like an actual growth person. Like They actually do work. Three worker bees. Get together. Start a company. Take a, you know, lower your cost, uh, whatever your monthly burn is as much as you can. Go to an accelerator, uh, raise a seed round. Yeah, it's not gonna be at 25 million. Yeah, you're not gonna be able to pay yourself 150 or 250k, you're gonna be able to take a five or 10K draw a month, maybe. But this is when, you know, there's not gonna be a lot of competition and you can take market share. So it's 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 the best time ever to start a company. But safety in numbers three Mm -hmm. co-founders i'm literally Mm -hmm. looking at the founder university cohort and i asked kelly and presh find me uh i want a list of the startups that have three co-founders i want to meet them first Hmm. then i want to meet the ones with two and when i meet the three prioritize them three developers two developers (laughs) one developer and so dig into that a little more why three i think you're gonna have a founder quit that's pretty typical right somebody they're gonna have
1: to like get a job for example, whatever. Yeah, they simple or whatever. To get a job, mm-hmm. They
0: move. It's not for them. And then you have two left. Kind of like, why do you have a spare tire? Cause sometimes you need a spare tire. Now if you have two and one quits. Okay, now we're back to the solo founder problem. Really challenging. So three to me seems like the perfect number. Four seems okay. Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, four founders, they take twenty percent each, they give twenty percent to their investors. That's okay. Mm -hmm. company's going to move a lot faster you're going to have to have you're not you're not going to have to raise as much money you got four founders uh and principals in there three seems like the perfect number to me and so I, i get why y combinator was really uh militant about this no solo founders they just know like solo founders is like probably three or four times the chance of failure and not having a tech person on the founding team, a developer means you just got to, you know, have idea people and idea people are not bad or business people or sales people or design people. It's all great. Mm-hmm. Airbnb, two designers.
1: Well, then so. when you do that, be intentional about the verticals that you choose, right? Like again, we're going to probably be talking for all of 2023 about the two bubbles that are inflating right now. AI, specifically generative AI and climate. We're going to talk about climate funding in a minute. It's booming yeah so like and and i guarantee that funding for these ai companies that create utility around ai and we're going to go back to open ai for just a second are also going to be booming so like be intentional about the vertical that you choose when you start this company and there will likely be funding for you
0: all right open ai everybody's talking about this 29 billion billion-dollar valuation selling 300 million dollars to Jared Kushner and Founders Fund reportedly buying secondary shares. Uh, the cynical take on that is people are quote unquote buying a logo. What's buying a logo? You're a VC. You want to impress your LPs. You want to impress the world. You have a logo page and you're like, look, I have Uber on my logo page. Oh, I have Airbnb. Oh, I've got com. Oh, I've got Coinbase, whatever. Logo makes you feel good about yourself. So putting in the OpenAI chat GPT logo on your page. We'll make Jared Kushner's. I was you know, just going to new... say that
1: is so freaking Kushner. That is
0: that is classic Kushner with a K. I mean, people did this with SpaceX a lot. You know, they would buy secondary shares and then they. Oh, I'm a SpaceX. I meet so many people. oh, I'm a SpaceX investor, and then I'm like, "Oh, that's great, congratulations!" Like, can you introduce me to Elon? And I'm like, "Oh, you said you were a SpaceX investor? Like, oh yeah, no, no, I bought it on the <laughs> secondary market from this secondary person in this mm. LLC, and you know, they're they're eight derivatives away from the company. They've never been to SpaceX. They don't know anybody at SpaceX. They just. By right. SpaceX, and they put the logo on their website. It's it, it's a it's a tried and true little hack, um, but but we think with OpenAI yeah. is Microsoft seems to be doing the most cynical way of looking at this. Is there some sort of round tripping, which is an illegal activity? So I want to be careful using that term. Um, Okay, because wait, I want to back would... up and make you yeah. be even
1: more careful. One, Microsoft is doing a thing. Maybe we should describe what they're doing and then okay, go I'm to sorry, the cynical let's start take over first. Here because I'm
0: hearing like lots <laughs> You're of You're already weird like stuff describing the
1: cynical thing, but we don't know. Yeah. But so let's start with the facts of what Microsoft okay, is definitely doing. Okay, thank you, Mark. And then Captain Allen is going to bring us the bummer take, apparently, oh. again. <laughs> <Sorry>. um, <laughs> okay, so what Microsoft is doing is this very unique deal. This was recently reported by Semaphore. Okay. So we already know sam uh, Bankman m-
0: Fried's publication.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. One of them. One of them, one of SBF's <laughs> one of, many of the Bankman Fried media collection. Pet pubs, if you will. I think he put five million in that puppy. We don't know for sure, but that's what we're guessing. Uh okay, so we already know that Microsoft invested a billion dollars in cash and cloud credits into open AI in twenty nineteen. Uh now we have found out via Semaphore. Uh, okay. It's anonymous sources, so take that for what it is. Microsoft is in talks to invest $10 billion into OpenAI at that $29 billion valuation. Both of those were reported by the information already, but here's what's new. As part of the deal, Mm -hmm. Microsoft would get 75% of OpenAI's profits until it recoups its total $10 billion investment. Then, after Microsoft gets its investment back... okay. It will own 49% of OpenAI. Okay. Other investors will own the other 49% and OpenAI's nonprofit parent company gets 2%. It is also not clear whether money that OpenAI spends on as a client of Microsoft, as in paying for cloud server, cloud computing services via Azure, would count toward evening its account. We assume Hmm. that they just mean profits when they say profits. Okay. So this is a smoking deal for microsoft begin the cynical take
0: yeah i mean okay we don't know the details so in event and this is like you know journalists get a tip when you get a tip as a journalist we both are journalists who knows what the agenda is this could mm-hmm. be somebody who got fired or you know from uh open ai it could be somebody at microsoft who doesn't like the deal and is trying to subvert the deal they open up a burner account they send it to semaphore semaphore runs with it whatever So I'm just putting all those disclaimers out there. Journalists, when something is hot like ChatGPT or Sam Bankman-Fried, they get a tip, they run with it, especially in today's clickbait environment. Now, Semaphore, theoretically,
1: uh, like a higher-end publication, I guess, but- Let's just say Semaphore is new and trying to make a name.
0: Okay, so, okay, on the cynical that, that to too.
1: generous scale. Yeah, that too, that's an option. That too, that's, that's Trying to get
0: people to say the word semaphore, uh, Sam bankman Freed production. Um, <laughs> I say semaphore, the S in semaphore is for Sam. Uh, just so you know, the S-A, oh,
1: semaphore. Yeah. Just saying, there was so, un- semaphore so much.
0: Semaphore was, uh, and the F, it's Sam and the Freed is the semaphore. So when you hear Sam, semaphore, sem- that's sem- ba- Sam and the Freed. Sem- ba- four. Yeah. No, the S and the F in there is for Sam Beckman got to put a couple of letters into the name. Anyway. Uh, sorry to the people at said before for doing that. Too. Whatever.
1: They got so much freaking unearned media for their media pub that like I'll, I'm fine with this.
0: Listen, if you want to be an entrepreneur, or you want to do a side project, Squarespace is an amazing place for you to start. Why? Well, it's the platform where you can build or sell anything. I've been talking about Squarespace for a decade because it is the absolute best place for you to take that first step in being an entrepreneur or starting a project or even putting up a portfolio of your work. We love it at launch. We use it for all our different projects. When we have to put something up like remotedemoday.com, man, we can get it up and running in minutes. The feature train from Squarespace just keeps coming. The product velocity at that company is exciting exceptional. And when they ship, they ship it beautiful, beautiful templates, inventory management APIs, advanced analytics, 24-7, 365 day a year award winning customer support. And hey, it's going to look great on any device. They also have appointment scheduling. So let's say you're a trainer or something or you're a coach and you need to manage appointments. Great. You want to take payments for content or for a product. You can do that. You don't need to hire an army. You just need to go to squarespace.com slash twist and start a free trial. That's all you need to do. Squarespace.com slash twist. And make sure you use the offer code twist for 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. You can get your domain there at the same time. We love you, Squarespace. Thank you. Uh, On behalf of all the the startups, capital allocators, and tech enthusiasts who listen to this podcast for being our longest running partner. It means the world to us. Squarespace.com slash twist. Use the promo code twist, please. Yeah. Anyway, so... It, it, the, you have to as a journalist and just as a consumer of news understand like the, what is the agenda of an unnamed source exactly what we do know is microsoft obviously and uh open ai have a deep relationship it started as a non it became a for-profit it's now one of the largest private unicorns in the world so that's worthy of what just happened that like a nonprofit is At now minimum. worth 30 billion like whoa how did that happen so and i don't have any inside information on that um but that's weird and then all these weird deals where you're capped at the amount you can get returned and these weird deal terms now let me explain what round tripping is um when one company uh invests in another company and then that company does a transaction with that company one could look at it and say the money is making a round trip just like a round trip airfare so I think they, the there was a number that was whispered that they were spending $3 million on cloud computing a day at OpenAI. Oh, right, right. We report on Microsoft and Amazon and Google, and what is one of the hottest sectors when we do that little ribbon chart? I forgot the name of the ribbon chart. We call it Stanky. It ribbon. The Stanky chart, yeah. Stanky? Stanky. Stanky, not Stanky. Stanky chart. <laughs>
1: The stanky oh my ribbon God, chart. Oh, that's stanky a stanky ribbon. chart. <laughs> oh, it's
0: a stanky one. Anyway, there's always that stanky. little piece of the ribbon. Yep. That is cloud computing. And we're like, oh, Azure's growing this amount. Well, I mean, if they're spending $3 million a day on Azure, that's a billion dollars a year. If Azure, if Microsoft's valuation is based on that, and you've got a billion dollars, and ChatGPT is open to the public, and the more people who use it, the more... Google's cloud, com- uh, I'm sorry, uh, Microsoft's cloud computing revenue goes up, and they're trying to remember we were saying Azure's percentage growth was greater than AWS's. Yep. One thing that Microsoft needs is to see that cloud computing number go up. ChatGPT is an application that makes that number go up. It costs six cents. Remember, people were saying, "Oh, that costs six, seven cents a search." It needs to be like a hundred x cheaper in order for it to be viable. Mm -hmm. Not for Azure. For Microsoft, it's great that it costs six or seven cents. They're the person who's making the six or seven cents. So OpenAI could lose a billion dollars, two billion, three billion dollars a year of Microsoft's investment money and round trip it back Mm. to Azure. And then SEC gets involved and says, hey, what's going on here? Now, it it doesn't mean that they've explicitly said, hey, we're going to give you 10 billion. You have to give us that back in in Azure. But this is a related party transaction if they are shareholders in one and the other. A related party transaction is like a bell that goes off if you're on the board of a company and the founder says, I want to hire my brother uh, and you've got shareholders. Okay, you got a problem. Uh, Or you want to, I don't know, buy my brother. Let's say my brother owns like a, a bunch of office buildings and then I rent space and I'm a publicly traded company in my brother's office buildings. That's a related party transaction. The board has to then sign off on it. So that that's what everybody is starting to that's the back channel in Silicon Valley right now about this
1: is like, what is it? Well, yeah, right. I mean, this because somebody put this comment on LinkedIn saying the real story here for VCs is why a company that has positioned itself as primarily a research laboratory for the benefit of humanity is now reorienting itself as the deal of the century. Come on, folks, that's the conversation we want to have. And so then when you look at like this, like mm. incredible, I mean, there's one, the non-cynical interpretation of that is that Satya Nadella remains the freaking goat that Microsoft made this unbelievable mafia deal that is frankly worthy of Bill Gates at his peak in the nineties. Remember that Simpsons episode? Buy him out boys. comes <laughs> mm. and <laughs> Homer starts a, um, yeah. Internet company buys him out, smashes it. Anyway, uh, and that Microsoft like saw this coming in a way that nobody else did. And it just so yeah. happens that right, like that's all possible, but you do have to ask yourself why this thing that like, as you have said, probably should be open source as it develops, like AI at this level should be transparent. It should be available to everyone. It's so transformative that it should probably not be locked up by Heaven <laughs> help us, even though they seem nice. Now, Microsoft top you know, to bottom.
0: That was literally, uh, that was literally Sam Altman's pitch. Was this technology? Somebody can pull up a clip of this, or uh, you know, a quote. This technology is so important; it shouldn't be owned by any one company. It should be open sourced. And then he flipped that and said, "You know what? It is so powerful that nobody should have access to it." And we have to lock it down. I don't want anybody to see the code base.
1: So they they have kind of flipped on it. them out, boys. <laughs> exactly. That's how Microsoft gets you. They you think they changed, but they didn't.
0: Uh, I, mean, I think, by the way, that person. I don't. I, I don't want to um, dox the person who made that comment or anything. But I don't. I don't know. I mean, the public comment, So I. Yeah. I think it's fine. I, I, I was going to mention where he works, but he doesn't work at Microsoft or an AI company. So just right. so we're
1: clear, that's important. there there isn't an agenda there. Uh, but it's a that is the key question to be asking here because right because it's true we have focused on the valuation and like Microsofts making so much money on this, but like what we are now realizing I think more and more is that this tool is training mm-hmm. Microsoft's internal AI. It's yep. operating on Microsoft's cloud, yep. and Microsoft is going to take seventy five percent of its profits up to ten billion and then own half of it. That is a big deal.
0: I mean, this is this is like going to be like hats off to Sam and the team over there. You know, great deal making at a very high price. You know, the the company's probably worth two or three billion, and to get ten times what it's worth and give away half of it. Mm
1: -hmm. Well,
0: if you gave away twenty percent of it at three billion, you know, better to give away half at thirty billion and cash in your chips. I I don't know how much of this is going to the founders of the nonprofit or the employees? Um, but th- this is a huge transaction, and this is where one of the things you do when you're running a startup is you look for somebody who's got a problem, and then you craft a solution. Uh, and this is how great M can work. What's Microsoft's problem? Cloud, uh, in relation to Amazon. OK, How do you solve their problem? Okay, make them the number make them grow faster than Amazon's AWS is growing. Uh, what would be a way to do that? create the most intensive application to run on a cloud computing platform that is addicting to billions of people problem solved now that doesn't mean it's round tripping that just means they created an application for the cloud that utilizes the cloud in a massive way and that everybody's enamored with
1: the non-cynical view is that this is the biggest corporate VC deal that's ever been done sure um
0: I think but there's either a lot way. Of haters going on. I think people like probably well, really hate the fact that Sam Altman's
1: going to make, you know, whatever he owns and maybe he owns 20% of this. I don't know. I mean, listen, selling out a thing that you positioned as good for humanity and a nonprofit is always going to feel like watching that happen is always going to feel a little icky, especially when you see the numbers go up as fast as they have. But this is also where like, this is also where the media should start sounding a note of caution. The media in this case being us. like. Oh. Every other time that we've seen something hit evaluation, this out of the blue so quickly, Mm. there have been reasonable questions to ask about how good it actually is or how good it is for, right? It's like, when do we start getting WeWork Theranos vibes here?
0: Yeah, I, I think this is real technology that is really impressive by really smart people. Yeah. And it's a very conflicted transaction. And as we like to say here in Silicon Valley, no conflict, no interest. And so, you know, the reason this is super conflicted is because there's a lot at stake. This could really help Bing compete against Google. It could help Microsoft Office run away with, you know, new features that help it compete against Salesforce and Google, you know, docs and everything. It's just, it's really groovy technology. Now you have to ask yourself, what the hell is Google waiting for? What the hell is Facebook waiting for? Facebook is on a crazy adventure to spend $10 billion on VR headsets. And, you know, Brad Gerson, was saying over and over again, why aren't they spending that on AI? Right. Why aren't they? And they have invested a a lot in AI.
1: That's what I'm saying. Okay. So Facebook made the wrong bet. Now I'm going full contrary.
0: Says I have this entire data set of human behavior. I'm taking the entire Hmm. headset business. I'm spinning it off. And I'm putting all of my effort, this would be the power move for some. I'm spinning out the headset. It's got to stand on its own. Here's $10 billion in cash. Spend $3 billion a year. You got three years of runway. I'm spinning it out. It's going to be a public company. And I'm putting this person in charge of it. Spin that shit out. Boom, done. And then put all your effort into AI and catch up to this stuff. I mean, can you imagine what you could build
1: based on the Facebook data set? I mean, Facebook has been working on AI for years. They were a leader. They're like the silent killer in AI. So this raises this question again, unless it doesn't work. I'm going full contrary for 2023. Yeah. Open AI is secretly a dud. We're going to find out by the end of the year, it's going to be a bust. Oh,
0: I also <gasps> want to know the creators and the data set. How? I mean, if ChatGPT was built off of like Google crawling or some web crawling or Bing's crawl of the web.
1: It's Facebook's data. It's We all gave it. We all gave no, it up. I don't know. They're using a bunch of Facebook data. I mean, we don't know what else they're using, but they are training a lot of Microsoft and OpenAI are training a lot of their tools on Facebook's data. Set. Huh? Microsoft is. Oh, we don't know about OpenAI? Okay. Yeah, I don't know if it, I don't think he would get, I don't think Zuck would give OpenAI
0: access to it. You know, he, he doesn't even let Google search it, right? Like he a robot TXTs. T- 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 yeah, and
1: that's and true. Tells, you know, and they don't, sell, they legitimately don't sell it. They share it with partners, but they don't sell it
0: yeah that's their business is to collect it so and then google where the hell's google in all this like google's going to need to start releasing some product here and i think the big win here is allowing consumers to play with it i think and and letting people api it and and have fun with it and and training what happens which is what what's that every time we play with it we train it exactly and so let you know google's and facebook being super precious about this and not putting it out in the world OpenAI ai is kind of blown that open with chat gpt and they're just like yeah have at it people we'll lose three million dollars a day on compute power which means OpenAI is going to just uh get more um data like you're saying and they can get more use cases on it so yes yeah. I, I think they got to open it up um but i mean wh- who where's all the money for the creators that the day if open ai sells 10 billion dollars worth of this to microsoft
1: i don't know why you continue to call them creators like we gave all our data over we have signed every term of service like i'm not this is my maximum cynical take we lost the deal yeah whatever you put on the internet without reading the terms of service every time that the terms of service change to include selling your party to third party cookie collectors or this or that or whatever we lost the bargain. We are no longer creators. We literally gave up all ownership of everything that we put online. Sorry. Yeah. And the machines took it, and we're like, "Thanks, appreciate you." Mm. All right. Yeah, that's grim. That's grim. Hey, let's let's instead uh, yeah. let's talk about let's move on from AI bubble to climate bubble and okay, talk great. about the ways um, that very excitable sci-fi fans and tech bros are actually going to just just destroy the planet with geoengineering.
0: Good yeah, when, when people start talking about geoengineering, I'm like, I, I kind of feel the yeah. same way I feel about, like, gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab. I'm like, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. Turns out. Yeah.
1: Whew. Okay, so there is this uh, new climate tech startup formed yeah. by um, a former Y Combinator employee, okay, Luke Eisman, and he... It's called Make Sunsets. It's raised $750,000, led by Boost, VC, and Pioneer Fund. And the company's mission was inspired by this recent Neal Stephenson book that I read, uh-huh. which was super interesting, called Termination Shock, about a Texas, an eccentric Texas-based billionaire okay. who decides to do some rogue geoengineering. Not a good idea. So Luke reads this book and is like, cool, cool, cool. I'm going to do that. And raise the money for it. And the, the geoengineering is to cool the earth's temperature by releasing sulfur into the atmosphere to reflect the sun's rays. This became a concept in the nineties, actually, because after Mount Pinatubo, this big volcano in the Philippines erupted, oh. the, it sent 20 million tons of sulfur and sulfur dioxide into the air. And that resulted in global temperatures falling by one degree Fahrenheit the following year. So there oh. has been like real research into whether this is a thing. But every time somebody does that real research into whether this is a thing, they're like, well, okay, sure, but how does it affect the like monsoon season in Bangladesh, right? Yeah, what the are the second
0: and third order impact of a bunch of sulfur being in the atmosphere would exactly. be the obvious question here.
1: Exactly. However, Luke Eisman, uh, reportedly, according to the Washington Post, didn't ask any of those questions. He just made a big balloon full of sulfur mm-hmm. and released it into the atmosphere and let it pop to spread this sulfur. He did, he took no measurement tools he doesn't know if it even made it into the stratosphere he just is this kid high wants to try it and sell credits cooling credits as a way to drive revenue i, I don't i don't mean to be like ten dollars a pop i don't mean to be um
0: cavalier here but is this kid high is, i mean you're sending this I mean, everybody up and you blew it up and you're selling credits on the blockchain? I mean, dude.
1: Are they on the blockchain? I don't even know if they're I'm on the no, blockchain. Just, I, don't think they are. I mean, come on. They have to be, though, right? He literally said, he didn't send a balloon up with sulfur in he it He did. Come on. He did. And he popped it. No. He popped it. And he raised $750,000. This is talking about a bubble. A literal bubble. <laughs> so he's selling these cooling credits. I mean, look, oh this Lord. is going to happen, right? Like, people are going to mess around with ge- geoengineering because Neil Stevenson did all the research for them in his book or whatever, but also oh. because we're going to re- pretend, you know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a quick way to make a buck on cooling credits. The market okay. is ballooning. I'm going to give that one to producer Brian. Cause he doesn't make a lot of to jokes. The air out of this uh, innovation, <laughs> but
0: um, no, <laughs> don't, please. I, this is a message to smart people. Please don't do geo engineering or terraforming on planet earth. Like do that in a simulation. There, there's some compute platform where you can kind of just model this stuff out you don't need to throw sulfur balloons into the air also like with CRISPR, don't start doing experiments on babies and i mean unless you're in china and they gave you the okay apparently like they have been doing some uh geo, you know bioengineering over there but yeah let's not we we're gonna need some new laws i think we're gonna need some new rules please don't throw stuff into the atmosphere I mean, I you do know, like that, the you like, of mirrors, I think I, Qatar,
1: I, yeah. I think maybe Qatar and the UAE are already doing this. They're like doing cloud seeding and they're doing some geoengineering to like, I mean, it's, th- there will need to be global treaties, especially as climate change get continues to get worse. But yeah, I mean, this reminded me so much of, um, fast Re- Breslow, you know, like he went on to form that health startup and he was like, my superpower is, I don't know anything about health. Like, you know what? No.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, Elizabeth Holmes no, didn't know anything about blood. <laughs> yeah, Reslow's I mean, bolt.
1: Thank you. you uh, get them wrong. Yeah, just, there we go. Dubai is artificially creating rainstorms. Guys, it's going to get crazy. Yeah,
0: Great. you're just going to have to pump the brakes here. Please don't do crazy stuff like this. I do like the idea of the mirror stuff. Like, uh, there was a group that was saying, hey, you know, if we just put reflective material on top of some of these glaciers, we would reflect the sun off of them. And therefore, they wouldn't melt as fast. And I was like, well, there's a simple idea. Uh, sure, why not give that a shot on an iceberg and yeah. monitor it? And if that glacier you know, melts 50% slower, that could be good, I guess. Um, so it does seem like there I are going to be some, some good interesting yeah.
1: experiments. There's one that's also in Ministry for the Future that's like pumping water from under the glaciers up to the top so it can refreeze, like it's a whole. Huh. Circular thing, but yeah, it's funny. I think that the response to this was best summed up by somebody who retweeted it when I tweeted it, and oh. I think Brian has it queued up. <laughs> it's just like I love that. First of all, this tweeter's name, uh, the Twitter name, is Optimistic Nihilist, okay. and he replied sure. and said, "This seems like a terrible idea, and I'm certain something is going to go catastrophically wrong if this continues." Yeah, thanks, Captain Obvious. <laughs> but yes, I mean, he move said. fast and break things
0: uh, in you know social media. We saw what happened, like breaking elections, democracies, people's brains, young girls' body images. Like that was just software. Like we move fast and we break nice. things in social media, and we now have a generation of people who are on SRI's anti-anxiety medication, eating disorders, like all this crazy storming stuff. Like, the
1: capital. Storming the Capitol,
0: storming yeah. the Capitol, misinformation, election interference, whatever. Like there, there will be second and third order effects when you move fast and break things. So.
1: Okay. Move fast. Break now, less. How about break less? Good. Break less. Now for pump the, the, the breaks. Move good. Fast, climate brakes. tech. Good climate tech. Good okay. climate tech news. One, we've talked a little bit about UpRounds, German based solar panel startup NPAL. Uh-huh. Basic solar panels lets people rent them, put them uh-huh. on their house. Power systems like solar panels, energy storage batteries, and EV chargers. Uh, has, let's see, the last time it was valued was in October 2021 at a billion dollars raised from SoftBank's Vision Fund 2. Is close to closing a deal with a PE firm TPG that values it at $2.4 billion. Okay. So almost double up round. Just more proof that like there's a, there's a little bit of a bubble forming in climate tech. Those valuations are still strong for, and also you can apparently raise $750,000 for your sulfur balloon idea. So, I mean,
0: it only takes a couple of like weirdos to be like, yeah, sure. Give it a shot. You yeah, know, why not? a lot of weird folks. Now, N Enpa- pal or Npal
1: pal German
0: Npal E N P A L is the name mm-hmm. of this
1: company. They provide solar panels. Uh, they let homeowners rent them. Ah, uh, so it's sort of like the leasing model, uh-huh. um I guess. Like, well, that became so popular here. It must be it must be sort of like a bit of a financing hack. I think yeah. that makes it more accessible to people. Um, I think what's interesting about this is that one solar is where all of the clean tech 1.0 money went, but we're still trying to figure out how to just get that. I mean, like when you look at the most simple solution, Hmm. it's solar, it's the fusion reactor in the sky, get it on every house, you know, get it on every building. So anything that like reduces friction for that has become really popular. And then second, when you look at the funding explosion, the US invested more climate tech VC in 2022. Then in the entire 2006 to 2011 clean tech 1.0 boom, and at the current pace of investment, according to the Wall Street Journal or according to global market intelligence company Holon Holon IQ, by the end of 2023, the U.S. will have invested over 100 billion dollars in VC climate tech VC since then. Um,
0: 83 unicorns. The cost of solar for your home. Has dropped dramatically. Six More than kilo, that. yeah. Six kilowatt hour residential solar system used to cost fifty thousand. Now outright cost of a tickle home installation ranges from sixteen to twenty-two K, average of sixty-two percent annual decrease. This was on the
1: Sunrun website. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're a little biased. Actually, a about. lot of people too say that it should be cheaper. My first newsletter was about solar financing and how the solar industry feels so sketchy to people. And this is why I think companies like NPAL are able to raise easily because it's less of a, it's not really a product industry. It's a financial, it's banking. Mm. Like the money in solar is not from selling panels or creating a beautiful product that makes people happy. It's from getting a bunch of consumers to lease their solar, bundling the leases and selling them. Like it's it was literally a financial innovation that made solar more accessible But now it means that the money that's made on solar primarily comes from reselling these leases. It's asset-backed securities.
0: Solar is now cheaper than everything. coal, nuclear, offshore wind, onshore wind, everything.
1: I think it's now cheaper. It is. It's the cheapest electrons on the planet, solar and wind. So we have this massive win that has occurred
0: dropped by a factor of like 5 since 2010. So we are now in the deployment phase. I don't understand. I guess it's because of the physical nature of installing these panels on your home, the aesthetics and all that is what is holding people back or the fact that just energy is so cheap anyway, people aren't thinking about. It. The only time you really think about it is when you have some disturbance in your electricity. So this is a tragedy of the commons. It's just easier to keep yeah, you know, paying your three hundred dollar a month electrical bill, than to, you know, cut also, it to two hundred by your utility makes your it
1: like utilities make it really hard. Sometimes they actually have these sort of punitive, weird things that make it really complicated. Like it's not you don't. It's not as easy as just putting up solar. Which is ex- you have to be a homeowner. You have to be a homeowner in a place that can get enough sun to justify solar. You have to maybe get permission from your HOA. You have to figure out the utility part of it. Like it still, is there are enough barriers that it has impeded adoption? And frankly, a lot of utilities are making it even harder than they should. Mm. I think honestly, it's moving a lot faster in Europe.
0: Well, in Europe, like a lot, I a think lot. they charge so much for energy dependency on, you know, Russia and this war, uh, Russia's, absolutely unjust invasion of ukraine has i think opened people's eyes a bit to hey maybe being off the grid is a good idea this is one of the counterbalancing things that i think is happening in climate when you have an atmospheric river uh, uh, or you have an ice storm in texas and everybody loses power and then people start dying uh, all of a sudden people are like you know it'd be interesting if i had power walls and solar or a gentech you know natural gas thing or maybe i should start thinking about having a starlink on my roof and having, you know, a wire connection. Like I, yep. I am, you know, it's adaptation. Uh, it's literally climate adaptation. Yep. Climate adaptation, but the, the adaptations reduce dependency on the bad stuff by default. I was talking to somebody and they said one of the great joys of their life was building their ranch and it's not like a super rich person they're okay but they they have like a ranch and they have solar they have a well they have starling and this person was telling me like i don't need any connection to civilization i am you know just off on this mountain and this range and i'm good
1: decentralization is the future
0: i i still would like you to come back jeremy renner and and play some uh (laughs) what's it hawkeye okay <laughs> i'd still like you to do some hawkeye movies but but get get better uh future bestie i feel like jeremy renner and i are because we're I both like in i think can. we're gonna start hanging when he's on the mend i just so anybody who knows jeremy like uh you know let him know like we're both gonna be mounted dudes and we'll cut some logs together safely and i'm um, glad he's okay
1: Oh, my God. All right. Let's 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 move on to our this week in climate startups. Yeah, we have a great, uh, super interesting climate interview. Michael Cronley is the CEO of Ascend Elements, which is an engineered materials and lithium ion battery recycling company. And they're recycling the feedstock for lithium ion battery materials. And then actually, and this is super interesting, what comes out is like ready to go cathode material that's apparently the very hard part like people are able to extract the cobalt and the nickel and the lithium from batteries and recycle those materials but they don't necessarily just like pop out ready to go new cathode material and that's what ascend has figured out so it's key to this whole i mean you know i'm like weirdly obsessed with batteries like a weirdo but they are the key to it all we had a really fun conversation awesome we'll enjoy everybody Michael Cronley is CEO of Ascend Elements, which is an engineered materials and lithium-ion battery recycling company. And welcome to this week in Climate Startups.
2: Molly, it's great to be here. Thanks.
1: Um, I guess tell me, you know, first of all, in your own words, what are you guys doing?
2: <laughs> yeah, so um, at Ascend Elements, we are a new, I guess, disruptive technology that's coming in, bringing this this advanced technology to really take new and make sustainable battery materials out of recycled lithium-ion batteries. And so it's a new technology, really, that um, that really hasn't been uh, introduced anywhere else in the world. And so it very efficiently takes spent lithium-ion batteries, and these could be end-of-life batteries. They could be from even manufacturing scrap out of a, a large gigafactory. And so we take that, we begin to process it. And it's not just a process of recovering the critical elements that are in lithium-ion batteries, such as lithium and cobalt and nickel and manganese, things like that. That's what a typical recycling process does today. Mm -hmm. What we do is when we process that, we process it directly back into very high-value cathode materials. So this is very, very different in that the economics of this process are very different. So rather than producing a commodity metal as our output product, we're producing an engineered material, as you mentioned in the, in the intro. And so these materials can be sold at a much higher price. And as a result, we're able to really incentivize additional amounts of recycling because our process is so much more efficient and so much more economical to the point where we're actually able to pay for battery feedstock to supply it. And so that's a little different than what is maybe typically done today, where if you have a spent lithium ion battery, you essentially you, you give it or you donate it to the little recycling bin. Mm-hmm. But now we're we're moving into a direction now where there's a lot of valuable material inside these lithium ion batteries. And it, now that the scale becomes completely different when you talk about an EV battery and these, these EV batteries are a thousand know, two thousand pounds not just the little small ones that we're used to in our households right so well let me let me stop you difference. there
1: there's a whole lot going on here and i want to back up to <laughs> take yeah, this yeah. like piece by piece okay so one you're recycling lithium ion batteries is it yeah. specific to ev batteries at this point or is it it's any size battery
2: so we can take any type of lithium ion battery yeah. so um, and there's different chemistries and different lithium ion batteries Mm-hmm. Certainly the 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 chemistry that is in your cell phone battery, as an example, is different than the chemistry that is in your EV battery, but it doesn't matter. We can take those and process all of them.
1: Got it. And then as you process them, it sounded like you are recovering the materials inside, but what is the sort of new aspect, the creating a new material or yeah. explain that one? D- d- dig a little deeper there.
2: Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so in a in any battery, there's mm-hmm. something that's called an anode and a cathode. This is yeah. the positive and negative side in a, in a battery. So these materials that are used in a battery to to create the anode and cathode are very specific engineered materials. Um, the cathode material is uh, is is a very specific material to make sure that you have the uh, the energy density uh, to make sure that the battery can charge and discharge at a certain uh, amount um, mm-hmm. or a certain rate. Um, as well as, you know, it also contains a lot of various metals. So in the cathode material, that is really where the majority of the lithium exists. The, the nickel or the cobalt or the manganese metals like that, those are all metals. They're in the cathode material. Right. On the anode side, um, there's, there's different materials that are used there, but predominantly it's graphite or a form of carbon and so they're theyre they're different materials that are used, but they're um, they're made and generated very specifically to function in a battery and so you take these raw materials and you transform them into an more of an engineered material gotcha. and that's really um the the big difference. so when you move from a commodity or a raw material and you take it and you elevate that value into an engineered material, that's really what's driving the economics here
1: is and- that that engineered material, and also of course you're recovering i mean that list of materials you gave us cobalt and nickel um and lithium yeah, itself and lithium, i guess yeah right <laughs> the big one yeah. are hard to come by
2: yes they they are hard to come by
1: and um, increasingly you know, really. in high demand as a result of other batteries so like it sounds like what you've created is a real value chain a dual ba- value chain here
2: yes yeah, so essentially it's um uh, I, I like to think of it as as really uh, just stacking value yeah or you know sometimes uh, people refer to it as margin stacking so there's there's essentially a recycling piece where you recover these metals, but then there's also a piece of where you transform these metals into this higher value engineered material. And so there's there's essentially uh, essentially an economic value of just recovering the metals, and then there's an economic value of then transforming these metals into a um, an engineered material.
1: Right. What, what can you do with the What can yeah. you do with the engineered material?
2: So that engineered material is the cathode material that's in a battery. Oh, it so, is. Okay, got it. And, and what our unique technology is, is we've developed a way to take a lithium ion battery and essentially skip that intermediate step and go right to this engineered material, the cathode material. Gotcha. So it's a much higher in value material that we're making. Um, and really, it's, it's enabling a lot of uh, or higher amounts of recycling because the economics are just much, much better.
1: And are you then producing new batteries or are you strictly in the recycling business, the recovering and recycling?
2: So I we're actually in the materials business. So um so our, our raw materials and there are many other cathode uh, manufacturers out there, um, but they they make their materials from primary sources or mine doors. So someone's got to dig this stuff out of the ground. Mm-hmm. They've got to you know concentrate it and refine it and then eventually make a cathode material out of it. Our our raw materials or our process starts a little different, uh, where we we acquire spent lithium ion batteries and that is our raw material and we begin to process that into this highly engineered cathode material
1: gotcha and then go back to that was another chunk of that big first answer where you get those batteries it's to the point yeah. you said where people are paying you to take them
2: yeah yeah so um so there's you know looking at the size of batteries not all lithium ion batteries are the same mm-hmm. so there's you know there's there's um i'm sure there's there's Batteries in, in your drawer at home, uh, in old cell so phones many, or, or so tablets batteries. and things like that. Yeah. yeah, so there's a lot that's in there and it's, you know, it's effectively not being recycled because nobody knows really what to do with these things. Um, so that is a source of lithium ion batteries and actually the collection and return rate of those, call them consumer electronics batteries, uh, is not very high. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's some estimates that it was around 5% and maybe it's, it's creeping up around 10% now, but it's still relatively low. Those, those batteries, um, you know, are weigh a, a quarter of a pound, maybe, or even less. Um, you know, you, they're measured in grams. That's very, very different from an EV battery. So, an EV battery is much, much bigger. And like I said, it's, a, it's around, you know, they could be 1,000 pounds. Um, some of the bigger ones are even up to 3,000 pounds. So, these are massive batteries. Yeah. Um, and so, they, uh, they all need to be eventually recycled when they hit their end of life. And they all need to go somewhere. And we certainly don't want to let them go into a landfill. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's actually the worst thing we can do um, environmentally or even economically. We don't want that to happen. So we have to develop a a way and a system of bringing back all of these batteries into a processing facility that can process it and use that as raw material and make something much, much more valuable out of it.
1: And are you at the stage where you are also dealing with EV batteries? Like, is that part of your facilities? Does it require a separate facility or just separate kind of machinery within? Because of the dramatic size difference.
2: No, actually, it's um, it's the same type of facility. Um, yeah. It's actually the same process equipment. So the process that we've developed is, is able to take any type of lithium-ion battery, whether it's you know a small cell phone battery or a gigantic EV battery, uh, we we take it in and process it the exact same way. Gotcha.
1: Um, what percentage would you say? In terms of the processing is like smaller, but ba- I mean, uh, not that many EV batteries, it's my understanding are coming out of spent vehicles yet. Um, so what does the percentage look like now? And what do you think it'll look like in the future?
2: Yeah, so there's a- actually the majority of the batteries that are coming back are EV batteries. And as it's not measured on not a, a battery level, mm-hmm. as, as a tonnage level. So remember, there's a massive size difference here. So yeah you know you you need uh roughly around ten thousand cell phone batteries to make up one e v battery, so you need a lot of cell phone batteries to to come back and and have the same uh same weight or same mass coming in so right. on a mass basis or you know a weight basis we're uh, we're actually bringing in a lot more e v batteries okay and yes you're right is uh,
1: more and economical and for you too like yeah yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> just one battery coming in uh you know right. on a pallet is uh is you know Equivalent to all of this collection point from you know, think of uh, you know ten thousand drawers in ten thousand homes that are someone's going to return their their cell phone or their their battery back in. So it is much more economic to uh, to think about and focus on the EVs and the the EV batteries because um, they're just they're just larger.
1: Right, totally. It's more efficient. Do you want to take a drink? You got time. (laughs) I guess just and then just to put a really fine point on it, we jumped right into the technology because I'm. or, you know, the process a little bit. Yeah. Obviously, we can go a lot deeper into the tech. But just to put a fine point on it for people who may not realize what is the, the problem that this solves? You know, what is the profound climate impact that this has and why it's so necessary?
2: Yeah, so w- we're actually in the midst of an energy transition. Um, and so the energy transition and it's been talked about a lot. What what really is that? And that's really to address a lot of our climate issues. So it, it's the, the backbone is is really climate change in ways that we we get and we consume energy is is dramatically shifting, not only in the United States, but throughout the world. Mm-hmm. And two industries are being dramatically affected by this. And it's really it's energy and how we consume energy. One, is in the transportation industry, so you know this is when we're talking about EVs now. So we are slowly starting to transition our entire automotive fleet from fossil fuels to um, using uh, electricity and preferably renewable electricity. So uh, you know tailpipe emissions really from from your um, are, are going to be going away, and so many governments are behind this. OEMs are behind this. And really, consumers, um, whether they're slow adopters or they're, uh, you know, they're early adopters, it doesn't matter, eventually, they're part of this transition and it's going to take time. Mm-hmm. So that's going on, and it's really to address climate change. The other industry that's massively affected by this energy transition to help and improve climate change is really um, the way that we receive electricity, the way we generate it and really store it. And, and manage it. So, if you look at the number of coal-fired power plants or the use of coal in the United States or anywhere else, it's dropping, and it's being replaced by renewables, particular solar and um, and wind. So, both those combined are uh, are on the dramatic increase, whereas coal is, uh, is decreasing dramatically. So that's mm-hmm. part of the energy transition. With that, you know, unfortunately, the fortunately or unfortunately, it's just the way it is. The wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. Mm-hmm. So what's being used uh, and being deployed are these massive, massive lithium ion batteries. And so they're, they're, they're as big of a house uh, or as big as a house or as big as a, you know, a, a very large commercial buildings. They're just packed with batteries. And that's essentially the storage it, uh, that is being placed on the grid. So really at the center of this energy transition in the automotive space and also the, um, you know, the utility grids uh, scales uh, or industry is really lithium ion batteries. Yeah. And so yep. that's really what, what we're, we're helping to solve. And so we're going to have a lot more batteries now. Yeah. Um, that, that's and then the- we
1: have a massive shortfall of it may not seem like it from my early questions, but I did a whole mm-hmm. narrative podcast before becoming yeah. a climate tech investor on like I became obsessed with batteries and yeah. the technology that we need and the you know mm-hmm. materials that go into those batteries and the, the lithium shortfall in particular, I think mm-hmm. is something people don't understand, right? This entire transition right. rests on batteries mm-hmm. and we are not pulling anywhere near the amount of materials out of the earth or other mm-hmm. sources mm-hmm. that we need.
2: Yeah. Exactly. So, you yeah, know, and we'll just use lithium as a as an example. You're you're exactly right. So, to make these batteries, because they're at the center of this energy transition, to make these batteries, you need a lot of materials. Mm-hmm. Um, lithium, cobalt, nickel are three of the you know the the most uh, critical minerals uh, in that uh, transition. So, um, you can throw copper in there as well in um, the dramatic increase in copper. But if you just focus on lithium for a second, you know all of our lithium sources essentially come from the earth. You know we've been mining metals out of the ground since the dawn of man, so that's that's nothing new. Right. Just what we're mining out of the ground is is different, and shifting over time. And now there's an increased focus on lithium as opposed to maybe iron. So um, so that's that's our new iron is lithium. Mm-hmm. Um, and the part of the problem that we're having is there's this now dramatic uh, increase in demand for lithium-ion batteries, uh, and we as a, as an industry are not able to sl- supply enough lithium, and so what we're seeing is is a huge spike right now in lithium prices. So, as an example, lithium has uh, has jumped up in price almost 10x in the last two years, uh, mm-hmm. and it's going to stay elevated for a while. And part of the reason is the demand is is growing a lot faster than our ability to mine and refine the lithium, and so we need ways to kind of offset that, and certainly recycling the lithium, once you spend all that time and effort to try to get the lithium out of the ground, you certainly don't want to put that in a landfill. Mm-hmm. Um, and also with it being so valuable, you want to be able to process it and put it right back into the supply chain to make new lithium ion batteries. Right. And that's really the part of the problem that we're solving. There's, a, there's another part of the problem we're solving is essentially uh, as this new industry is growing lithium ion batteries and, and or the refining of these critical minerals. It's highly, highly concentrated in East Asia and specifically in China. And so now you're starting to get governments involved, um, certainly in the United States, also in the European Union, very same regulations incentives to really uh, diversify that, uh, uh, that concentrated um, source that's, uh, for all of these minerals that are they're in China. Right. So, you know, you, you see some new re- recent legislation that's happening with the infrastructure law that was passed last November in the United States. Also, the, uh, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act had a lot of uh, provisions in there to really help build a domestic U.S.-based uh, lithium-ion battery supply chain, all mm-hmm. the way from, from mines to refining to batteries to everything. So, we're, we as a country are not so reliant upon places like China. For yeah. these critical materials,
1: and that's you—you're part of that's that supply us. chain. <laughs>
2: yes, we are. We're right in the middle of that supply chain. So, yeah. Um, yeah so it's a—it's really—it's a—it's a great time for this technology that that has started that you know, this this industry and really to kind of enable all of this energy transition. We're we're right in the middle of all of that.
1: And then back to your business more specifically, who then ends up being your customers? Is it other? Battery manufacturers are they domestic? Like, who do you sell these materials to?
2: Yeah. So, uh, battery manufacturers is Mm -hmm. the short answer. Mm -hmm. It gets a little more complicated than that because it could be uh, these materials could be introduced elsewhere in the whole supply chain. Uh, So, it could be at another cathode manufacturer if they're going to take one of our precursor materials, uh, or you know, uh, you know, that's made slightly before uh, cathode active material. So, it, it could be introduced there also increasingly uh our customers could be and are uh OEMs so EV manufacturers that are now investing in and becoming battery manufacturers mm-hmm. so you you you've probably seen a lot of the announcements that virtually every single OEM is now getting into battery manufacturing because it's yeah. such a vital part you know they Every, every one of them always used to make their own engines and transmissions. Well, they, they no longer need that, but they need things like batteries in order to make their EVs work. And so they've been investing very heavily uh, on the scale of billions of dollars, each of them, uh, to build out their supply chain and, and their capability to manufacture and assemble batteries. But these, these huge gigafactories need materials in order to make them. And that's mm-hmm. really where we, we supply the materials directly back into them.
1: So how might that work in the case of an OEM? Let's say Ford wants to create mm-hmm. like is is are we to the point yet where some of these manufacturers can really create a closed loop system where they're off? You know, they're recovering mm-hmm. EVs at end of lease or end of life, mm-hmm. sending the batteries to you, getting the materials back. Like, is that the kind of ideal ecosystem that you want to it create? Is. Yeah, but so they wouldn't exactly they wouldn't set it up themselves. They would contract with you. <laughs>
2: They, they would contract with us or, or someone else in the industry to do exactly that. Um, yeah. There's a lot being written about um, you know, circularity of materials, mm-hmm. um, you know, essentially closing the loop. This helps everybody's sustainability goals. So there's a, a lot of uh, ESG uh, uh, type requirements that, that exist now for public companies. They all have to be making steps to become more sustainable. A way of doing that is recovering materials, processing them, and reusing them. And so that certainly uh, uh, transcends into EVs and EV batteries. So they're they're incentivized to do this. Um, it helps with not only their sustainability goals, but it also it really helps with economics as well. So the ideal state, and we are very close to doing this, I'll say, as an industry, is closing the loop. So. OEMs and battery manufacturers have access to and can acquire lots and lots of batteries through end-of-life vehicles or you know various buyback programs. There's, there's complete, uh, I guess, reverse logistics companies that sometimes the OEMs have control of, sometimes their partners have control of, but they're able to, to bring these vehicles back um, at, at end-of-life and then process the entire vehicle, but then pulling the, the battery out of it. But there's also another source that they have much more direct control of, and that's in the manufacturing process itself of lithium-ion batteries. So many people don't know that when when you make a battery, um, there's a lot of uh, considered manufacturing scrap that comes from these large battery factories. Anywhere from 8 to 10% of everything they produce ends up in the scrap hopper. Mm. And some of that is, you know, there's, there's manufacturing scrap, uh, which is just truly scrap, but also there's a portion of it that is by design. They, they essentially, there's certain cutoffs or stampings that they, uh, that they cut out. And so, um, so, there's a lot of material that they generate themselves that also needs to be recycled. So, 8 to 10% of their total output needs to be processed and recycled even before it makes it into a, an EV. So, uh, so we help them with that. So there's, yeah. and, and that material is available today. Or uh, when every single battery manufacturer starts up, they need a recycling partner to bring all that material in, process it, and return it right back to them. And so as new uh, battery factories are coming online and starting to produce, um, they need a partner. And to the point where every single Battery manufacturer or every single battery plant, and these are very very large plants now. They they need a recycling partner or company that's almost right alongside them in starting up the same time they are. So you know the, the the number of battery factories that have been announced in the U.S. There's, there's a lot of them, um, and we're going to need just as many recycling plants in the United States to just keep up with that. Uh, and then we're going to need to be even multiplied again when we start to get. Serious amounts of end-of-life uh, EV batteries coming back in. So, right. so those are the the two main sources of feedstock that come in to our uh, one of our facilities. But then, you know, we're we're really working with primarily battery manufacturers and EV manufacturers to help them close that loop.
1: And how many facilities do you have?
2: So right now we have uh, four facilities. So two are at a smaller scale that are doing a lot of the, uh, the piloting and R&D and development of our critical materials. And um, the other two are uh, facilities that are operating more at a commercial scale. So one is one's operating and the other one is, is actually under construction.
1: When did you start? How new are you at this?
2: So that's a good question. So the technology dates back about a decade. Um, and so um, the technology itself was a spin out of uh, Worcester Polytechnic Institute. So it's a, it's a technical university outside of Boston. Um, and there was a battery lab there and, and a few professors that had d- developed this process. And so you know, our, our intellectual property and the processes you know, date back 10 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the company itself was, uh, was incorporated and started back in, in 2016. Um, but it was operating more in a stealth mode for, uh, you know, for about four years, further developing the process and, and getting it right. And uh, we, we essentially came out of stealth mode beginning of 2020 and, and really started going out, raising more funding because the technology was at a mature enough point where we could, you know, raise the funds and then start opening uh, and constructing facilities to, to process, you know, very large amounts of, of batteries
1: um and by very large we should say there's a very there's a correspondingly large amount of money that has to
2: <laughs> go yes. into
1: uh, an endeavor like this so you raised it looked like a little under 500 million in grants and then a $300 million series C right led by Fifth Wall
2: correct yes so uh yeah that was uh, what we did in 2022 so this year so it was a very good year for for raising money um we so this business got, that we're in. You got
1: in just under the wire and then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. So, um, but it is a very capital intensive business. Um, yeah. So, it, it's, it's not like we're a software company that you know, needs development time. And then once you've got it developed, you can, you can replicate it. Um, it it's, uh, you know, we call it a hard tech or deep tech uh, type business where it takes a lot of capital. Uh, but uh, on, on the flip side, what we're really doing is we're building infrastructure that's needed for the long term. Mm-hmm. And so this is a, you know, it, it's a very sustainable business. It's a long-term business. And so those are the type of investors that we look for. Um, it's the, whenever I get on a phone call with, with an investor that is, you know, used to developing and investing in software companies, you know, it's, it's usually not a good fit. Right. So, um, so we have to find the right investors. And there's plenty of those out there uh, that are interested in, in clean tech or the deep tech. They, they really understand it and get it. And they're in it for the long haul. Um, and helping us build this infrastructure. And and now, the fact that we're getting the support from the US government in these uh, Department of Energy grants is, is very, very helpful. But they're also you know, making a long term investment in building this infrastructure we need in the US.
1: Yeah, talk to me more about that landscape. Have you been there since 2016?
2: Um, I've been involved with the company since 2017. Okay. Yeah, so I've been, been around a long time.
1: And so you must have seen because there's there's been a bit of a shift in climate tech investing toward a greater willingness. Like you described, there are more investors now who are saying we'll take this longer journey Mm -hmm. and, you know, potentially lower margins for a longer, more, like you said, sustainable in all the senses of the word um, Mm -hmm. business. Have you seen that shift? It sort of feels like now all of a sudden there's like a bubble in in a really good way. Around making these type of investments or firms that are specifically focused on frontier tech or hard tech or deep science. Yes,
2: yes, exactly. So there's a lot of funds. And and that's really, I think, uh, a lot of the deals that are actually getting done, the companies that are getting funded these days. Of course, we're not in a very good economic environment right now. um, But uh, the the companies that are involved with uh, climate change or climate tech, uh, or deep tech, they're they're the ones that are really, um, they're still progressing, because there's there's a broader thing that's going on and yes we have economic uh, ups and downs or the market goes up and down but but this this um this climate issue is not going up and down it's only continuing to get worse and mm-hmm. so there's there there are a lot of people really investing in this because they know it's 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 something we've got to do something about and um and so that is more or less staying fairly steady that uh, people are are still doing deals and getting deals done making those investments so um, so I, I see that.
1: Tell me more about the um, speaking of the the hard tech. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more about the technology, because it's my understanding, you know, battery recycling technology exists. It's my understanding that you're able to recover 98 percent of the materials within the battery. Talk to me about that technology and why it's better. <laughs> why? Yeah. How are you so awesome?
2: Yeah. How are we so awesome? So uh, there's there's several technologies that actually will recover. High amounts, ninety-eight um, percent of some of these critical metals. What uh, what what is truly different, though, is what we are, is our output product. Our output mm-hmm. product is very different from other methods. And so there there are other methods that that exist, um, you know, such as a, a a smelting process, or you know, they, they refer to it as a pyrometallurgical process. This is actually a very very old process um, that, that dates back you know thousands of years. Um, to, to smelt metals and, re- and refine them. That just, melt the them they, like, just melt them down. Just melt them down. And so that's the most crude, basic way of doing it. Um, it's not very environmentally friendly. Uh, it takes a lot of energy to to yeah. do that. But so it, it's, that's a process that has been adapted to recycling lithium ion batteries uh, of recent. There's there's another process um, that's more of a chemical process. It's referred to as hydrometallurgical uh, recycling. But what that does, and it's, it's a process now that's it's going on 100 years old. Uh, again, that process has been used extensively in the mining industry uh, to essentially refine certain ores that come out of the ground. Mm-hmm. And so that process has also been adapted to recycle lithium ion batteries. But again, the output product of both that, that smelting process or that chemical process only recovers the metals itself because that's what those processes were designed for. Okay. This this process that, that we have, we actually call it hydrodecathode, and so it's a it's a, it's a brand new process. And what that process actually does is it starts out with these spent lithium ion batteries and goes directly to this high value cathode active material. Mm-hmm. That's what's very very different. So That's we're not just yeah. we're not just recovering those those metals. We're going directly to this um, this highly engineered material. And this is a process that was uniquely designed to recycle lithium ion batteries. So there was, there was a problem that, you know, the, the professors at uh, WPI were trying to solve. Mm-hmm. And back when we just started making EVs and putting them out on the road, you know, back in 2010, 2011, nobody was thinking about recycling these things. And, yeah. and back at that time, we had these older technologies that, okay, they, they worked, but they weren't very economical. And so, if you don't have an economic process to recycle and it's a cost, then that's going to be a problem for broader adoption. So, mm-hmm. th- they set out to, to find a more economical way to recycle these batteries. And, and really, what their, their answer was is they wanted to make the most valuable product possible from spent batteries. Yeah, And, and their answer was the cathode material. Right, And so, the cathode material in a battery is, is important because… That's about half of the cost of a total of a lithium ion battery is all in one material in the battery. So everything else, all of the energy, all of the labor, everything else is the other half. And so if you can synthesize that really expensive material that's in a battery from spent batteries, so making something really, really valuable from from trash, that's you. you can make some margins. You can make an economic case for recycling. And gotcha. that's exactly what they set out to do, and th- they they've developed that process, they've patented that process, and like I said, it's it was uniquely designed to recycle lithium-ion batteries, and, and really nobody else is doing it this way and as efficient as what Ascend Elements is doing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and so, in, in that way, we're we're bringing something new and, and transformative to the industry.
1: Gotcha. So it's more than it's it's urban mining in the sense that it is some metals recovery but it sounds like what you're saying is what your competitors are doing is they're recovering metals but if you want to make batteries you still have to engineer that cathode material and Mm -hmm. then process these metals these recovered metals into new batteries you have you are purpose built Mm -hmm. for recovering battery material essentially and it sounds like almost the same state so that you can just pop i'm obviously dramatically simplifying but like pop it right into a new battery ready to go that's
2: that. That's exactly it. And so, um, and, and uh, nice. I'll say it is that simple. You know, the uh, the PhD chemists that are standing behind <laughs> me uh, wouldn't describe somebody who's had simply. a heart attack. I know, but, <laughs> <laughs> but they don't go know. like,
1: you just pop it over.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and there you go. Yep. So, but that, that's exactly it. And and, that, and that's how we help battery manufacturers and EV manufacturers close the loop. You know, they they uh, we we get the material from them, we process it, and we deliver material they can use right back to them.
1: Awesome, Michael Cronley, CEO of Ascend Elements. Thank you so much. Uh, my obsession with batteries will never die. I couldn't have been more excited about this conversation.
2: <laughs> thank you, Molly. It's great talking to you today.
1: Appreciate the time.
0: We'll see you tomorrow on this week in startups. If you love the show, uh, well, you're welcome. I'm glad that you're here. <laughs> <laughs> Follow
1: Molly Wood. I mean, what, what do you want me to say? It's freaking um, awesome. I'm still going to say yeah. that every day. Thanks uh, for <laughs> can coming. Can we just make that the new, can we write that into every outro for the, for the all of time? We're here and uh, You're welcome. we're here you for enjoy you the show? to discuss
0: this. Uh, producers at thisweekandstartups.com. If you have ideas for the show, follow Jason, follow at Mollywood and uh, Com. I'm going to try to keep writing. You just wrote a nice piece. Uh, are you Mwood or Mollywood at?
1: Molly at Wood. Substack? Mollywood.substack.com.
0: Yeah, and uh, if you sign up for hers or mine, we I think we co um, we have a circular yeah. economy going for sure. Yeah, that's I think this is a, the best part. We I'm gonna, I invited the um, or I asked the producers to invite the Substack founder back on. We've done a really good job of this, like uh, network effects. I got a lot of people recommending our stuff, and so I was kind of liking it. Um, yeah, all right, we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Bye bye.